0: Welcome to episode 44 of Cultural Capital. I'm Andy Hazel.
1: I'm Eloise Ross. And I'm Anders Furs.
0: And this week we're going to be looking at the Melbourne French Film Festival with Claire Denis' new film Let the Sunshine In. And we'll be opening the Cultural Capital Film Diary. But first up, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival is also on and we're going to be looking at one of the highlights of the program, Donna Deitch's Desert Hearts.
1: If you got leaving on your mind You enjoying the ranch?
0: It's different. Join the girl talk. We were discussing sex versus marriage.
1: You're one bunch of kooks out there. I am 35 years old. I want an honest life. I am leaving a decent marriage to see if I can find one.
0: I had a love of my own.
1: You had more than most people dare hope for. Desert Hearts opens in a train station in the late 1950s with one woman collecting another, the outsider immediately visible as a sharply dressed woman almost imprisoned in her own clothing. Contrasted with the casual country dress of her chaperone, Frances, played by Audra Lindley. This outsider, Vivian Bell, Helen Shaver, has come to Reno to finalise a divorce from a husband who, she claims, has come to Reno to finalise a divorce from a husband who, she claims, was aware that theirs was a professional marriage from the very start. They are both esteemed academics. There's a suggestion, although very slight, that Vivian is aware of other desires that won't be fulfilled in a heteronormative union. However, this doesn't become fully felt until she meets Kay Rivers, Patricia Carboneau, Francis's stepdaughter and the town's kooky, quirky woman whose uh, quote-unquote perverse behaviours, as they are categorised, are well known by all in the town. Kay and Vivian are thus both outsiders, one forced out for her natural being and one an interloper. Staying at Francis's dude ranch, Vivian's straightforward divorce proceeding is complicated by her conflicted desires for the very forthcoming K. Made in 1985 for $800,000 but looking like so much more, this was a Sundance hit that returned to the festival last year before a restoration released on Criterion. And it is truly cemented in history as a classic lesbian story of the screen. This tale of two women is sort of a reimagining of the classic American Western story. It doesn't conclude in the expected way of the Eastern Party taming the Western, but reaches a finale via Ella Fitzgerald's I Wished on the Moon that is basically too wonderful for words, both in terms of its own narratives and its use of Americana and cinema iconography. And as did you fall in love with Desert Hearts?
2: I did fall in love with Desert Hearts. I think this is a really important work within queer cinematic history and it's sort of it's often held up this is the first time i've seen it but i've heard about it its reputation certainly precedes it and it is often held up as the first american movie to positively portray a lesbian relationship i'm not quite sure how true that is um but it is remarkable uh, all the same in that it is doing that it's so well made i totally agree with your point about how I was sort of shocked that it only cost $800,000. It's just there's a confidence in the filmmaking. It's really top-notch. I really want to give a shout-out to the screenplay in particular. I really love the dialogue in the film. So there's this sort of key lovemaking scene in a room, uh, motel room, where uh, one of the women is lying naked in bed um, and beckoning the other to join her. And she says, well, I wouldn't know what to do. And um, Kay replies, you can start by putting the do not disturb sign on the door. And I just thought that was, like, marvellous. And there's there's another point where Vivian remarks to her, you act so calm and self-assured. And Kay says, I act that way not to change the world, but so the goddamn world won't change me. So it was full of these nice little, I think, insights into queer life like that. And they really appreciated, uh, really resonated for me in a major way. I thought the setting was really interesting, that those Western elements were really, really curious and interesting and I'm really glad that it's getting a screening at MQFF because I think it deserves a big and appreciative audience and I'm sure it will find one there. What did you think Andy?
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm probably not quite as enthusiastic as both of you. I actually thought the screenplay was one of the weaker parts. It felt as though it was an adaptation that was extremely reverential to the novel. So it felt like chunks of dialogue were taken straight off the page. And it it sits in this slightly heightened reality, which I took a while to get on board with. And so the work lines like, I'm out to lunch when it comes to queers, which I still don't understand what it means... But there was quite a lot of this sort of stuff. That was probably I'm actually. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? Gwen was sitting down and talking uh, to. She Kay. was a
1: massive bitch, though, so maybe she just said all of this stuff. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like
2: I'm out to lunch. She's like she she hasn't decided. Is she? Was well, she crazy? I thought
0: it, she, out to lunch, yeah. lunch means crazy. I'm crazy when it comes to queers. Does that mean she's crazy she crazy really likes them or she's crazy about she's them? Being in a extremely
1: bad way? judgmental and. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There was a few lines yeah, like that where yeah, I was like, I I'm agree. not quite sure what Her you mean. Her character was was strange.
0: Yeah, well, but the acting uniformly was brilliant, and I can't work out why no this entire cast isn't famous. I mean, Jeffrey Tambor was the only person I recognized the entire film. Oh, yes, I recognized him. Know, yeah, in a couple of bizarre <laughs> featuring. He's in a, the a audience. Wordlessly
1: when, okay. in the audience
0: <laughs> when Francis goes to do her, she, she sings a song oh, to the right. locals. Oh, very and strange. And he's very yeah, yeah. So. I don't know why. I mean, my God, it was just flawlessly delivered. I mean, it was so strong. I know, the
1: yeah. Helen Shaver is like incredible. I couldn't stop looking at her and thinking about her voice was kind of so shaky and wavering but yes. still like so confident as well and the way she held herself and, that you know, she absolutely embodied this kind of – she wasn't uptight but she was just very in control and ordered. I mean, she says that. But when she arrives in her suit that she – it holds herself in a particular way. It, she, she's in a particular miller in New York society. She's an academic. Yeah. Um, and she resists, quote unquote, letting her hair down.
2: It, and that's what's really interesting because she doesn't exactly, she doesn't, she comes across as this kind of, it, it seems to be hard for her to sort of let go and, as you say, let her hair <laughs> down. However, at the same time, she has been brought, she's taken herself to this rant, this, it's sort of like as if she knows she needs to. And so that's, And really interesting um, character uh, drive for a character, I guess, that desire to do that. And she sort of learns how to do that over the Mm. course of the film, I guess. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Now, actually, the biggest thrill for me was going. Oh my God, this isn't for the male gaze. I was like, it was wonderful. It was so exciting to see a film I actually had to investigate rather than was just delivered to me, presuming that I would be a heteronormative, you know, white guy. So it was brilliant. I mm-hmm. absolutely loved that <coughs> the nature of the way that the music was never used to heighten emotion. It was just used as a soundtrack, as a jukebox almost. Yeah. So when we have that amazing sex scene, which was like so dramatically powerful, yeah, 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 it's yeah. just to, it's just silence. All you hear is the mm. you know the actual sound of them kissing and exploring each other and having this phenomenal experience.
1: Yeah, and also if I recall, whether or in that scene or not, but definitely when they're in Vivian's hotel room, you hear the sounds of the outside because when she's on the dude ranch, she's outside of town, it's depicted visually that's this quite long drive from town and that they're isolated in a country setting. But in this small town, you get the sense of the gossip that Kay is a victim of and you get the sense of Vivian feeling exposed and her kind of almost shame at having to realise where her desire lies, that she, that, that she hesitates to kind of go fully towards. And I really like that setup up there, that contrast between the city and the, the rural world, mm. even though they're inextricably linked. I read the, the essay, B. Ruby Rich wrote an essay for the Criterion DVD release, and she calls the city of Reno in the film as this magic space where anything is possible and that in the past in this film kind of presents a space in which lesbians have access to finding themselves. And Mm. uh, it's typically a place where women get sent in order to be cast out of relationships. And it's always the women that have to go to this other place to, you know, find themselves... Um, and I love that it's used as this place where Vivian is allowed to find herself and accept herself because it's a temporary town, like it's always yeah. fluctuating. Well, it's
0: used in a really interesting, similar way in *The Women*.
1: Well, it's in a lot of movies in the um, you know that Hollywood era.
2: Yeah, and even um, the people who who live there, their relationship with the town changes. You just reminded me of this point early in the film when uh, Francis, I think her name is a character, the woman who owns this ranch. Mm. Um, she's picked up Vivian from the airport and is driving her out to the ranch. She notices some building. says, oh, like a lifetime ago I was a dancer over there. So it's just like this other version of her uh, tied to a yeah. different part of the
0: city. Yeah, that's interesting.
2: That's sort of evolved.
1: I love the way that this camera, the camera in this film, like cares for all of its characters. And I feel like, yes. you know, we've talked about the town and we've talked about certain scenes, but the way that it has close-ups and it's not as though it's being voyeuristic or interrogative in any ways. It just kind of cares for people's faces and their expressions. The attention to detail is beautiful. I think that you see Vivian and Kay especially and they're the two you know main characters and f- focuses of our attention in this film. the way that they can kind of, I feel like you see them thinking about each other even when there's no dialogue to suggest that they are.
0: Um. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. It is a, I thought it was a really interesting t- point in time to make this film as well. Because in uh, 1985, mm. we were still in the post 70s world of wanting things to be nice and neat and prim. And so, like, you had that, you know, punk rock and you had the crazy, dirty films of the 70s. And then the 80s, things cleaned up a lot. And John Hughes movies had a lot of their teenage characters, you know, dressed like it was the 50s. You know, there, there was a lot of the big hits from that era kind of evoked that sort of time. So when we have... Yeah,
1: you know, like Grease and stuff.
0: Yeah, I suppose, yeah. And or mm. even stuff like Back to the Future has this whole night 50s uh-huh, thing, uh-huh. you know. Um, but in this case, we've got this weird mix. Well, I thought the hairstyles were quite modern, <laughs> but not in a totally jarring way. But certainly Kay's hair just seemed as though it was... Um, looked really you know quite sculpted sometimes in this sort of very quite fetching way.
1: There was definitely a way in the production design of saying that the country, even though certain liberal expression was not accepted, like Kay being a, yeah, a, a yeah. lesbian, that it was more modern in the country than the city, and that the city was kind of tied up in these conservative, this conservative way of life. Mm. But you know they were all wearing like short shorts. Yeah, um, yeah. The there was
0: quite a lot of skin. Even at the wedding that they went to mm, three yeah, quarters yeah. of the way through, I was like, hmm, I'm surprised to see that much shoulder. Um, but I was actually earlier in the week listening to an interview with Helen Garner where she was talking about um, the era that she wrote some of her early earlier books about living, cohabiting with women. She was talking about the way that communication would happen there and it would have to be either quite well organised or there would be a lot of just silence and then suddenly somebody would just lose their shit and storm out of the house and move out and no one would ever quite understand why but that was just the way that these sorts of things happen. So I was thinking, well, what a hot house. It is to have all these people at this ranch where you've got like one guy who's fairly you know just does a lot of the, the physical labour. and seems always seems to help out and seems quite reverential. The sun, the oh, sun. He
1: was beautiful. Yeah, he
0: was very attractive.
2: Yeah, uh, he and was. I think was a lovely yeah. character.
0: The men in this film
2: were quite interesting as well. He seemed to be a very well, open minded, very. Yep. I'm here to support you uh, on your emotional journeys kind of character. Yeah, he
1: was a great gentleman and I, you know, maybe he... He learned that from the movies. Yeah, yeah, and (laughs) that was nice and I like that he wasn't, you know, he never interfered or he never kind of took attention away from any of the women Mm. um, that he was there for. Yeah, he had a weird
0: relationship with Vivian. I felt like there was a scene edited out at some point that explained...
1: Before they went outside and had a DNM. Yes. Yeah, about yes. the gates,
0: yeah. Mm. And I was like, well, where did that come from? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I was
1: a bit like that as well, but you know. Mm.
0: Yeah, but there was a lot of stuff that I thought was really on the nose. Some of the m- song choices, the, the symbolism of water was kind of <laughs> a bit hilarious. <coughs> and, um, yeah. But it yeah. was also this beautiful scene where they went out to the lake and this is a, where they get to know, you know, and there's a few key narrative points happen. And I thought, oh, they're going to Mono Lake, which is like literally the border of Nevada and California and she can't go over the border mm. because of, she has to wait for the, um, the attorney to deal with yeah. her divorce. And so it felt like they were going to this, this actual physical geographical border as well as taking her to this border of where she's feeling comfortable. And then you throw in all this water, you know, in the lake and then yeah. the rain. And I was like, it's actually really quite work, worked really well. That first kiss was a oh, amazing kiss, scene. Yeah, in the rain. Yeah, yeah through yeah, the window. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that was, was magic. I don't even want to talk about the ending because it was just so perfect.
1: Yeah. But I want to read some of this essay that B. Ruby Rich wrote just because it's kind of so awesome. Did you guys read it? You did? No, no, I haven't. Yeah. Well, maybe I shouldn't then. No, do. No, please. Really anyway. Really light sorry. Alice okay. Was... Well, she says Dietsch made a number of short and experimental films back then, including her 1975 UCLA thesis film, Woman to Woman, a documentary about hookers, housewives, and other mothers. That movie convinced Gloria Steinem to sign on as a host to the house parties that financed Desert Hearts in $15,000 increments. By then, the women's movement was being walloped by the Reagan years and devastated by the 1982 death of the Equal Rights Amendment done in by ultra-right attacks. Isn't that awesome?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Go Gloria Um, Steinem.
1: Anyway.
2: So we can read the complete thing on the Criterion website?
1: Yeah, it is on the Criterion website. um, And I just love the connection to Gloria Steinem. I'm a Gloria Steinem fangirl. Um, But, you know, just that this whole movement was kind of... Building and there were setbacks, and there were way, you know, kind of efforts to sanitize a particular era be it the 80s and also, you know, back to the 1950s. But that there was quite clearly another movement to move forward feminism, Mm. um, and that those are tied very closely.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting that she didn't seem to have a subsequent career career, because actually quite a lot of this reminded me of Love Serenade. Like Love Serenade also used a whole swathe of its budget to buy pop songs and apparently it was $400,000 of the budget was spent on licensing. In Love Serenade. No, no, sorry, in this movie. Oh, in this as well. In Desert Hearts, yeah, I think it says somewhere.
1: Said she mortgaged her house for it. Yeah, that's right, But then made back... You know, more than well, I enough. think it
0: was eight hundred something thousand for the production. Then yeah. she spent four hundred k on top of that for the songs. Oh right, which right. I think is why they're not diegetic; they kind of sit on top of the action and around mm. it. But yeah, they did remind me a little bit of that, like a strange sort of out of the way town. With one's view of other lives of other women there yeah, yeah,
1: and I mean that's that kind of thing is really important And it's great to capture these spaces from a different perspective
0: Yeah, but where's Donna Deacher's meeting with David Geffen and Five Million Dollars To make a <laughs> follow-up film? <for them>? Exactly <laughs> 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 it'd be, it'd Yeah,
1: still waiting mm. You kissed me And you kissed me And I kissed you I don't believe what
0: I'm saying You see... I enjoy order. What happened between us
1: was innocent more than anything else. And
0: friendly. Don't forget that one.
1: I was really hoping we could have a mature conversation about this. (laughs) Well, so far we've talked about order and disorder and who kissed who. and what the hell does it matter anyway since it was all so innocent and friendly. Then I'll get to the damn point. I am a respected scholar. I've been married for many years to a respected scholar. And for a moment's indiscretion, a a fleeting lapse in judgment, I stood in the rain and allowed Francis Parker, a figure bearing not the slightest resemblance to anyone in my entire life's experience, to humiliate us as if we were a pair of delinquents. You should have told her all. I'm not in the habit of raising my voice over false issues. When I retire, I will simply write a short story for my revenge about this town, these people, these gamblers. My only clear memory is arriving; the rest is a blur—an absolute
0: blur. It reminded me a lot of Douglas Sirk films. There was a lot of be- like beautiful melodrama, yeah, like grounded melodrama, which I loved.
1: Yeah, and visual commentary and things. Yeah, totally, totally. Definitely. Yeah, I, yeah, I did write that down. Uh, nice. Well, everyone should go and watch Desert Hearts and Douglas Sirk films and The Women <laughs> and Born to Kill. Well, and read Gloria Steinem. And read Gloria Steinem. <laughs> because, so and you've got your homework.
2: I was going to say, when is it screening?
1: <laughs> Desert Hearts is screening at Melbourne Queer Film Festival at Acme Cinemas at 6pm on Wednesday, March 21st. Details at mqff.com.au.
0: Which brings us to this episode's film diary. The Astor Theatre has a Marilyn Monroe double bill of The Seven Year Itch and Gentlemen Preferred Blondes on Sunday, March 18, and on the 22nd they have a double bill of 80s violence in the form of The Terminator and Robocop. Chris Marker's monumental Sans Soleil gets a live score from Melbourne sound after Sui Zen on Friday, March 23rd, and if you haven't caught up with Agnes Varda and JR's French art documentary Faces Places, chill! Acme is screening it until April 3rd. They're also screening a film described as an adult fairy tale, a romantic yarn of blossoming love, and a coming-of-age comedy called This Beautiful Fantastic. That's the screening until March 20. Um, But what's happening in the film festivals is what's really occupying us on this particular episode of The Cult Cap. But before we get back to another one, Eloise, what's happening over at Melbourne Cinematheque?
1: Melbourne Cinematheque is finishing up a John Cassavetes season, a three-week season that is finishing this Wednesday, March 14th, and then from next week is a three-week season called Twisted Nerve on some British psychological horror, starting off with everyone's fave, Michael Powell's Peeping Tom. Okay. Oh yeah, nice one. Looking forward to that season.
0: Cool. Melbourne Queer Film Festival runs from the 15th to the 26th, and the Alliance francais French Film Festival is running until the 27th of March. Là, dans ta réaction, Je te dis non, je suis solidaire. Bon, bah très bien, très bien. De toute façon, il euh, y a pas d'autre solution, non y a pas d'autre solution. façon, là, je vais partir. J'ai promis de rapporter une pizza chez moi.
2: French Art House Queen Juliette Binoche stars in Claire Denis Let the Sunshine In an almost essayistic portrait of a middle-aged woman's thoughts and feelings on love. Binoche plays Isabelle, a divorced artist living in a Paris apartment. She's explicitly looking for love, and to that end, the film tracks her romantic encounters with various men. The movie opens with Isabelle in bed with the banker Vincent, a boorish oaf of a man who she confesses to only being able to orgasm with when she's fantasising about how much of a bastard he is. (laughs) Other possible romantic interests in her life are introduced. An ennui-riddled 30-something actor, played by Denis Regular, Nicolas DuVauchel, an art world stalwart, Alex Descartes, a man she keeps bumping into at the fishmongers, and a working-class stranger in a nightclub, played by Paul Blaine. Late in the piece, Gerard Depardieu pops up as a psychic medium who is experiencing his own romantic dissatisfaction. All of this is presented to us in a series of lightly perhaps even delicately filmed vignettes. Central to everything is Binoche, who manages to traverse a full spectrum of emotions, sometimes as in a key conversation that takes place in a women's bathroom over a single scene. There is not a conventional narrative as such, although time passes and characters pop in and out of Isabel's life. The result is a challenging, at times cerebral, even pseudo-Brechtian work, although that's not at all to say that Denis' film dispenses with emotion. Awkwardly, and I'd suggest mistakenly marketed as a romantic comedy, I found Let the Sunshine In to be more of a series of colliding meditations on love, men, women and adulthood. There's humour, certainly, and a lot of everything else. I can't quite get it out of my head. Eloise, you've seen this twice now. Do you find that Denis and Binoche successfully Let the Sunshine In?
1: (laughs) I actually think that there's quite an obvious visual metaphor for letting the sun shine in in the final scene. But we'll get to that. I really like your description of the film and what it is um, and how it kind of gets to its certain major points and explorations of Isabel's, um, you know, kind of inner emotional explorations. There's a scene early in the film where I didn't notice this the first time but she's reading a book um, and it's kind of op- spread open on her coffee table called... Um, excuse my French, Virtues de la I don't know, I shouldn't have even (laughs) tried to say that. But the translation, excuse me, is The Virtues of Failure, written by Charles Pepin. And I know very little about this book. I know nothing Mm -hmm. at all about it, in fact. But I feel like... to the (laughs) homework pile. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I I see this film as... Uh, an anti-rom-com and it has been marketed as you know Claire Denise rom-com which makes people go what you know she doesn't make that those types of films but if we think of it in that way that it is a film about the virtues of failure and what what Isabel learns from each failed relationship is both something about herself and also I think she also learns very little each time because each of the men that she dates aside from maybe that Alex Descartes character, (laughs) just so atrocious and kind of repulsive. And they just talk on and on with no regards to her feelings Mm. or the feelings of anyone but themselves. And it's really sad that this is what happens to her. And I, I don't know, in the opening scenes, she does get quite emotional and quite drained about the fact that her life is perhaps going nowhere and that her relationships are failing. But as they go on and on... ...she kind of just gets a little bit more amused by everything. <laughs> and so it's, you know, it's really hard to interpret this film. You're right, Anders. And I don't still, even after seeing it twice, don't quite know <laughs> what I think. But there's all sorts of kind of visual cues and references... ...that maybe can give us some insight into what Claire Denis is trying to explore. Um,
0: anyway, Andy. Well, I think if you've watched the film twice... ...and you're still not sure what Claire Denis is trying to explore... ...on some level it must have failed...
1: I I don't think
0: so
2: Because she's too clever a filmmaker To make a willfully obscure film
0: this is the most boring film I've seen in <laughs> such a long time. I can't express on how many levels this disappointed me. And other people in the cinema in which I was in. that was like maybe a quarter filled and then five people I think left before the end Oh, of yeah, the there were a few
2: walkouts in ours too. Yeah,
1: yeah. Anderson, yeah. I saw it together but I was in the front row so I was blissfully unaware of anyone <laughs> walking out.
0: <laughs> no, I can't understand why anyone would care about anybody in this film unless they were also Parisian, bourgeois, middle class with time on their hands who, didn't, who wantonly had affairs.
1: I think... I can't remember exactly what I saw it at MIF and I remember it taking me quite a while to, I don't know, get into the rhythm of it or, you know, to actually begin to care either about Juliette Benoche or any of her encounters. And I think that I still, when I, wa- when the credits were rolling, I still didn't know what the film had done. And it wasn't until afterwards when I was standing around with a bunch of Claire Denis fans going like, what the hell was that, that, there were people who said no and then I just kept gradually thinking that I really liked it. Yeah, and nice. so it it does, you know, whether or not it makes sense on a great intellectual level, I just think that you can get more out of it maybe. But also the way that we watch kind of Juliette Binoche change throughout all of her encounters is Right, okay. to
0: me I, Yeah well there was Some really interesting Tension that it hinted at Between the idea Of physical fulfilment And emotional fulfilment mm. And then I was like No that's just me Trying to put some meaning To this Because <laughs> she's clearly Not that interested in it And there was a moment Another moment Where you think The Edda James song At last is playing And yeah. I was like Honk Okay awesome Like I love this song I love what I think She's going to do With this scene And it's going to become This sort of magical realism No just moving on No, no it's more disappointment <laughs> and More meandering conversations Where no one's really Saying what they're wanting <laughs> to There to is a about.
2: lot of Conversation in the film but I don't think that's to the detriment of the movie at all. I think the key... Well, not the key. A key to my response to it is it is... Uh, and she has said that it is... I, it's it's inspired by Roland Barthes' book, A Lover's Discourse. I think she went in with an idea to, to adapt that into a film and then through the creative process they've ended up with something much looser yet still using that as the gestation point for the picture. Now, that book is it's it's sort of ruminatory it's gestures of of you know it's protagonist is sort of considering the idea of love and i think that's what this film is it's a series of considerations of romance through her relationships with men and not and although she is a sympathetic key to the film i mean there are scenes that i think judge her in a in a slightly harsh light as well it's quite a complex series of thoughts and meditations on her character and her role in love. I
1: think, I think maybe Isabel as a character and all of the men that she dates who she clashes with and who never seem to take her feelings into consideration, they all just are there because they want relationships, not because of the other people. I don't know. I'm just thinking through this yeah. right now. And it's yeah. so is it some sort of commentary or questioning of what people do when they want a long-term relationship but are maybe just having to, I don't know whether this is it, but like put up with whatever comes across the table and things aren't going to work in all cases and things are going to be difficult and I don't know whether it's saying something about that at well, all. most of the people are already
2: in
0: relationships... Already,
1: yes. and they won't oh, leave their partners true. for
2: yeah. her. Yeah, it is quite French in that, in that regard. Yeah, and there's
0: no, like, you don't even think that nobody spends one second on the moral ambiguity of like the difficulty of that situation. Yeah, it's just like yeah, of course everyone's going to affairs with each other. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I really like the. Um, you know, that the At last song, when I heard it come on, I'm like, it's an amazing song, obviously. It's it'd be in so many movies. And so part of me was like, Why this song? Um, but then it's also so great for what it's doing, for what it's letting Isabel do. But I also love it because, you know, the person that guy, Mick Jagger Pout guy. Sylvain. Uh, Sylvain, <laughs> he I remember he's actually quite handsome, but when I he's first saw him handsome, yeah. in the first film, I was like, he's awful. Like he's so strange looking and he looks like a creep, and so I just didn't quite get it. But the second time I was, yeah. Well, I thought, all well, d- they
0: both of them are, d- are dre- dressed like they're in a new wave band from 1981. <laughs> and that, well, yeah, that was a very curious scene. That one.
1: But I mean, the reason mm. why I mean, and they kind of do have this, you think long lasting connection, but they only date for three weeks until you know she someone puts doubts into her minds. But the reason why they connect. And why it's such a nice, it's kind of a break in the film is because it's not a bloody like droning conversation. Exactly, she doesn't over
2: intellectualise her. No, until she starts to. Until she starts to, and her then a bloody snooty friend. Yeah, is was like a, oh, it, she comes a, from a different milieu, and that's why Physical I love condition.
1: it yeah, because yeah, exactly. it just gives you know, and it. It's a little, you know, if you're sick of this film, which you were, Andy, like, it's a little bit of a reprieve.
0: It was. It was nice to see her just physically interacting with somebody without sleeping with them. Yeah. But then the fact that she would listen to that dude afterwards as he's, like, not in the right milieu, when he clearly is <laughs> trying to pick her up like every single other male in the entire yes. film, she's not that dumb. She mm-hmm. can't be that dumb. We've seen her learn stuff. We've seen her progress through life. She's a wonderful artist, we'd like to believe, who can afford you know, to have all this but time on her in hands. But in the
1: final scene she goes to, like, a tarot card reader yeah. with no tarot cards <laughs> And she, like, you can see in her face, she's like, believes him. Yes, yes. And so maybe she's not that smart.
0: No, it's, that felt almost a bit, almost it's a bit last one, <laughs> treeish. Well, Isn't that interesting, though? No, it's, it's not. So, I don't care such, about anybody
1: in this film. She's such a.
0: Bloody it's complex,
2: weird character. This film
0: which is, is what makes so literally what people who never see French cinema think French cinema is about, which is bourgeois people walking around uh-huh. having affairs and just talking about themselves <laughs> all the time with <laughs> no actual dramatic consequence. It just felt really. I
1: beige. I kind of like a movie that doesn't give us any satisfaction that, yeah. that doesn't reach a dramatic climax. Why? Like, why? I love the ending because costume. it it experiments with <laughs> and challenges the way that a narrative that we expect a film. To a narrative film to go... And this is not like a blatantly experimental <laughs> film. It's a narrative yeah. film, but it, it resists that at the same time. And I really like that. It's it's not any one thing, I don't know. And so much of Claire Denis's work is not.
2: Uh, totally. And it, and this is... Because I was talking to someone today about this and I was trying, again, as we are, trying to work out, well, what, why do I like this so much, even yeah. though it does do everything that you're saying, Andy? Um, yeah. And I... <laughs> To me I sort of it, it made me think, well, you know, first she's a very complex character to the point that you can't you you can't really justify or analyse her behavior according to the conventional ways in which we assume characters who do things and learn and progress as people in so many movies that we watch do. And so because of that it's a new... It, it reveals something about human nature that is not often revealed in... I mean, are films... Uh, are we looking for way too simplistic conceptions of, you know, human beings on film, let alone women of this character's age? I mean, it's quite mm, remarkable. Yeah, and yeah, actually. Yeah, that's perhaps remarkable. revolutionary in a way, maybe. Um, that her character is so inscrutable like that.
1: Isabel does this all the time, but I noticed even the taxi driver asked of her. They just... They say meaning or they ask each other to clarify their meaning just with that one word, like meaning. (laughs) And it's so infuriating because no one can say what they mean and clearly they've all had so much life experience but no one either they don't want to say what they mean or they just can't find the words.
2: Which is hilariously portrayed in that scene where she can't say to her artist uh, the, the sort of gallery oh, owner gallery, or whatever. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Did
1: you have an affair with it's like, this guy? Yeah, yeah. Guy She's that like, I did you have with? an
2: affair with this guy? But she can't bring herself up. She does say it, but it's like a minute of like.
1: It's actually hilarious. really annoying.
0: <laughs> That's one of the high points She's of the film, I thought. Poor
1: Andy's looking exasperated. No, I loved it.
0: No, that was great, that scene. That was wonderful. And yeah, no, the, I mean, Juliette Benoche's face I could look at all day, but yeah, and it's I never had to work harder. People have <laughs> said, like,
1: if you, if you didn't like Juliette Benoche, you wouldn't like this movie. Well, I mean, I mean if, you can, if you can see it, the way that Anders
0: just explained it really beautifully, which was yeah. all about different ways of communicating, then yes. But these people spend a lot of words saying, expressing that they can't use words to express themselves.
1: And but I love that because yeah. the cinema so often uses words as a shortcut to get from one to the next thought or feeling. Yeah. It's not a realist film by any means, but it feel like it does explore and try and get into these, you know, emotional kind of paralysis so well.
0: Yeah, I also thought it looked kind of cheaply shot and also kind of clunkily put together. Yeah, I mean, particularly um, when the the yeah. end credits appear suddenly. I love that. I that was thought. That was. Ups. I laughed out loud at that situation. I was like, I do well, think "How is this?" It was quite
1: help? poorly shot in some ways as well. But I did also like the the end credits over the finals. It was like it was kind of just. Made, it was kind of just oh. like she was. Claire Denis was just like, "Shut up!" Yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't know. Do you? You know. You were. Obviously Andy. I just thought it was
0: hilarious I mean it's like How can this help the scene That you're At all How can this actually be a good move Whatever you're trying to say With this film Because
1: Gerard Depardieu Is just so full of shit and Yeah And I thought it was I don't know I mean maybe it's annoying And maybe it's self-indulgent But I felt like it was Kind of cool For this I, It was like the
2: auntie Call me by your name It was yeah. like Instead of drawing totally. Emotionally drawing you in It was like this alienating Yeah the like, break,
0: A breaking alienating Yeah device. exactly <laughs> I
2: it's, look, it's a real, I find it a really interesting film and I'm still thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, we are still, still talking still about it. I've thinking That's true. about it for a long time. I think.
1: There are a few things that I just wanted to say. One is that <laughs> I just had written in my notes watching the film Feet and I was like, oh. why did I write Feet? But she's so obsessed with wearing her heeled boots and she's got yes. several pairs of heeled boots. Yeah, the first true. pair of which is a mid-thigh um, pair that she wears with a mini skirt and tights which is amazing. Like, it's not fashion that I would go for at all. And it's an interesting choice in the middle of winter in Paris to wear that kind of thing. But I love that it's part of her character. And I think she does have quite a bad fashion sense in some well, ways. Well, I felt like it was a
0: sign of, of arrested development, that she was still thinking like a teenager and dressing like she did when she was a teenager in, in the early
1: 80s. Quite possibly. But that's I love you that, you know, she... Is it though? She wears these boots and then she goes hiking or not necessarily hiking, but like for a walk in the forest in the French countryside and she's wearing heeled walking boots and just everything she wears is like has this kind of symbol of woman's confidence, which is heels and so French as well. And I just was taken back to some Chantal Ackerman films where that sound and the image of a woman wearing heels is part of what defines her. And then after the, actor dude dumps her, she's at home and there's this weird close-up of her putting clogs on at home. And that shot, I, you know, I think it's only there to kind of say something about, and I don't know what it is, but, like, to make this connection between her confidence being possibly in dislocating it from herself and putting it into her clothing, Andy, maybe. maybe. Um, or, mm. you know, at least just suggesting that, that that feeling is something that you have to capture in external clothing, and that she'd lost it.
2: There was also, uh, sorry, you've just reminded me, another great little moment I loved when she goes to meet, oh, I can't remember who she's meeting, the banker guy. She meets some guy and goes into his office and there's that reclining...
0: Oh, yeah, uh, like yeah. Like
2: rocking
1: oh, g- yeah. couch
2: that she jumps on and like lounges on. I just really like that. Yeah. My... Um, and it's so also,
1: awkward. It's like it's, she's like this yes. will be comfortable and elegant and then she's <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> she's, like backwards. she's like, like, like trapped.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's full of these
2: little weird absurd, I don't know. Anyway, um, but there are some really, I thought, really luminous, beautiful close-up shots of Benosha's face and the faces of the men that she's interacting with. I thought it was quite nicely shot in some ways, although I agree some of the sets did look a bit, well, fake. I think, which might be a budget thing. I don't know, or it might be mm. it adds to that
0: slightly alienating effect of the film. Yeah, there was an interesting thing. I think it didn't pass the Backdale test. Not that I, maybe it pointedly, maybe it doesn't. She has no interest. It probably doesn't even know about it. I don't know. But it was written and it was direct, I mean, it was written by two women and huh. directed by Claire Denis. And every single time she's talking with her friend, it's just. I don't about, like the Bechdel. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not saying it's criticism or anything. I just thought it was an interesting. But the, point.
2: Uh, yeah, but that's, see, the whole film is about her quest for love, though, isn't it? I mean, and it's, it's about, about the
1: inability to like express herself truly yeah. in these relationships and with it is, these awful men.
2: Yeah, and it is about how all these men are awful.
1: Yeah.
2: Like that opening sex scene, I was just uh. like, oh, God, you don't... Uh,
1: oh, my God. When I her just, ex-husband, like, licks his finger and <laughs> she <laughs> yeah. it, she's like, get out. Get out.
2: <laughs> it's fake. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you, yeah, mom, yeah. You, did you see that in a movie? Yeah. Get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting that we only saw her teenage daughter extremely briefly. Yes. Uh, for that brief shot. Yeah, in we weren't meant to think
0: she was a mother. and It doesn't, yeah. she doesn't occupy much of her time, her daughter.
1: Yeah, you know, and she doesn't seem like a very good mother, which I think is maybe important because she's not being one at the time and we can't, you know, judge by someone's behaviour that we only glimpse briefly, mm. whether they're a good mother or not, I suppose, so that's kind of not part of it.
2: I, I, I just think that maybe trying to to interpret her character for a realism lens may be mistaken or, or maybe too difficult and maybe that's the point Denise's making. I
1: don't know, I don't know. I did, I don't know. yeah. You, you know, you think Andy, you thought it was really, really boring, and that's fine. Yes. I did, I, I did enjoy it the second time very much. So, and I feel like I do want to see it again, and so that's means to me that it's not a boring film, even mm-hmm. though you know there's still bits of it that I don't understand and that I find infuriating.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I just couldn't. I can't work out the lesson. Like, I can't work out <laughs> how it's meant to be enlightening. How we're meant to be better for having seen to it. Be? Well, if you're going to analyze human nature and you're going to start playing around with these interesting ideas of you know physical satisfaction and emotional distance and reverse and all that sort of stuff, then there's potential there for some fantastic you know stuff to learn or some cathartic way to look at loneliness, which yes. is bedeviling everybody in society. I th- and yeah.
2: I think it's very consciously not cathartic at all, like that final <laughs> with the end credits. Like I, it may or may not seem like a cop out to say, but I I genuinely think it is enlightening in that. It's uninviting in that I (laughs) I, I watched the film and I went, here is a complex person on on my screen. Like here is someone who I cannot rationally say 100% of the time why she's acting the way that she is. And that to me reveals something about being a woman at her age or whatever, Mm -hmm. or people in general. And that, I mean, isn't that enough of a... Well, it's interesting
1: because you guys seem to think that she
0: learned as she progressed. Side. I felt like she was stuck in cycles. I don't she think was, she learned. Well, I thought you said earlier that she was learning from each encounter.
1: Oh, sorry. I f- maybe she was like meant to be, or but she. It seems as though she got worse at interacting with her boyfriends each time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> somehow.
0: Well, you know, in the beginning, she seems to be making rational decisions, and by the end, she's consulting a spiritualist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 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 so sure what I'm meant to take from this. (laughs) Um,
1: When I was watching that final scene, I was getting frustrated because I had noticed, like you, Andy, that not all of it looked very good and that, you know, some of it looked a bit cheap. The lighting isn't always great and this camera doesn't always light people very well and I can't see facial expressions. And then I was, you know, not like necessarily upset, but I was like, I can't see Gerard Depardieu's face properly. <laughs> this camera is really bad and that like that light coming in from the window behind him is in the wrong position um, because his face isn't illuminated. And then I realized that maybe it's meant to be and maybe that's the title. The
2: title of the movie. Oh, oh, right. sorry. Sorry. I don't know, but funny. you know her
1: face in that scene is so beautiful and warmly lit and it it goes with the way, you know, the look on her face, which is like, please tell me who I'm going to fall in love yeah, with and he's yeah. there going like, maybe you could date me later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And what he's saying is just so awful but she's just wants, she's failing but she just wants something to fix her.
2: Is she is she me and is Gerard Depardieu <laughs> the movie? Is the movie so awful and she's going, oh, my God, yes, I'm getting so much meaning <laughs> from this. Is that me? Yes. (laughs) That's the that's the lesson I wanted to learn from
0: this film. Thank you. Thank you, Anders. You you, you (laughs) taught me.
2: (laughs) I it's I it's very thought-provoking. I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's interesting. It's
0: yeah. Well actually I'll tell you the most interesting thing that I found out from this (laughs) film. Claire Denis next film due out later this year is High Life, which was yes. co-written by Zadie Smith and stars I Robert Pattinson know. and Juliette Binoche. It's about a group so of criminals excited. who are tricked into believing they will be freed if they participate in a mission to travel on a spaceship towards a black hole to find an alternate energy source while being sexually experimented on by the scientists on board.
2: I it want to see that. sounds wild. I can't yeah. wait. I feel like
1: English language debut. that yes. was meant to come out or at least it was spoken about in the press before this right, film. Right, okay. But for... I don't know whether production got held up or, in fact, it was maybe never supposed to, but um, this one came out beforehand.
0: Well, maybe this is the productive cough. (laughs) And she's just uh, clearing her throat to actually do something fantastic, which will be this High Life movie.
2: She's such a fascinating filmmaker. I'm a big, I love Claire Denis, like, a lot. And I think all of her films are... Offer something interesting
1: mm. Yeah I think we've talked about her yeah. on the podcast yeah, before I'm But sure as I'm sure Andy is now Judging me terribly for <laughs> Let the sunshine In," was in my top Five films of last what year Was it? Yes I don't remember that at all <laughs> Sorry I you love that suppressed. So do it. I I love that too that Anyway you, you yeah it's just so it's interesting to, to me
0: That's mm, connected to you that strongly mm. hey. Let the Sunshine In is screening at Palace Cinemas until Sunday, the 18th of March. Thank you very much for making it to the end of episode 44 of Cultural Capital. If you want to rate or review us on iTunes, we'd we'll be incredibly grateful. You can follow us on Facebook at Cultural Capital Podcast. We're on Twitter at The Cult Cap Pod. And you can find me at Andy Ricky.
2: I'm at Anders Furs.
1: And I'm at Eloise Low Ross. If you want an extra
0: thank you, you can give us a five star review on iTunes. That would be great.
1: Please do. Bye. <laughs>